Romans 8, let's go to verses 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 through 30, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. And we know, I'll pause there just for a second. <laughs> and we know, we, we've read this verse probably over the last three months. We've read this verse. Do we know it yet? Do we believe it and trust it? What we know? Well, what do we know? That all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word and and I pray even now that you just pour out your Spirit upon us. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten us according to your Word. Help us to see the glorious promises that are found within. Lord, help us that we might, as we just sang the old hymn, "'Tis so sweet." Help us to trust you. Help us to believe fully and completely in your great and precious promises which you have for your children. So, Father, help us this day. And should there be someone who is yet lost, Father, that you would have mercy, that you would open their eyes from their spiritual blindness. Open their eyes that they might see you for who you are, that they might see Christ as the rescue for sinners. So, Lord, pour out your Spirit to them, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we looked at those he foreknew and those he predestined last Sunday. I thought I might expound on that more today, but uh, we're going to wait until we get into chapter 9 because we're going to be looking at this very thing again when we get into chapter 9. So... Uh, today, we're going to be looking at those also he glorified because we've looked at the called, the ones called according to his purpose. We, we've looked at the justified in, in previous sermons as well. And so today, these he also glorified. And, and I, I want us to keep in mind that all of these things, all of these things, foreknowledge, predestinating, calling, and justifying are divine acts. You understand that, I hope. These are acts of God, divine acts. They are all God's doing and all done according to the counsel of His will. Uh, in Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. Him also we have obtained, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him 
who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So you see, this, this is what makes all of these things glorious to the child of God. That This is why we can trust Him and believe that God will work all things according to His plans and purposes and they will be for our good and His glory. Because we know He's in control. We know He is God. And it's all according to His promises and purposes. We should find great comfort in knowing this. We have been foreknown by God, meaning that we have been the recipients of having His redeeming love set upon us. And this is before the foundation of the world. We have been predestined. Our eternal destiny has been set and sealed by God. We have been called. God drawing us to Himself through Christ. And we know Jesus said in John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. We know we've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross who obtained for us eternal redemption in Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In Romans 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All divine acts of God, all according to His will, His plans and purposes. Jesus said this in John 6, verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. And I believe within that is the sheep, the children of God. That in all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And, and to make that a little more concrete, a little bit later in John 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them, what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And they shall never perish. That's a great promise, isn't it? They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. We should find great comfort in those verses. And knowing that if we have been truly saved and, and redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have a full assurance of faith. We don't have to walk around and go, Oh, oh I, I, I probably shouldn't have done that now. Now, now I'm probably going to hell now. There's people that walk around in fear such as that, that they will lose the salvation that the Lord has given them. Nothing shall take them out of His hand. Now, 
There, there, we know, as, and we've talked about this and we've preached this, that there are those who make a profession of faith. And, and for a while, perhaps it seems like they flourish and are doing well, and then something happens and they utterly fall away. Well, what can we say of that? Well, they lost their salvation. No, we say they never had it. Because if they truly had it, they would not fall away. They went from us because they were not of us. You see, they left. Because this we know that God is in control. Isaiah 14, verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. <laughs> there we go. He has purposed. And who will annul, annul it? Who can change it? Who can uh, thwart the hand of God? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? He is God. There is no other. No one can stand against God. In Job 42, verse 2, and this is in the ESV, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is talking of God. No plan of His can be thwarted. Child of God, he, God has purpose to know you, to set His eternal destination upon you, to call you to Himself with an everlasting love, to justify you completely through Christ, and to glorify you together with Christ. Your salvation is what God has purposed it to be. Rejoice in knowing Him. Rejoice in knowing Him. Knowing that what God has purposed, He will accomplish and complete. Nothing can annul it. Nothing. Uh, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God has begun, what God has started, he will complete. So now let's, let's look at glorified for, for just a moment. These he also glorified. First, let's remind ourselves of, of uh, what Paul's already said to us in Romans. Let's go to chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace through, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And if we go then to Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together, together with Christ together with other believers, glorified together to be a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Listen to what Peter says of himself in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, now listen, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. 
That's not only Peter, but for all who believe. We will be partakers of this glory. That, it says that will be revealed. Well, when will it be revealed? Well, perhaps it'd be best said at the appearance of Jesus Christ. At his coming, at our leaving, at, our, at the time that we are in his presence. We are before him face to face. Can, can you imagine that? Face to face. Uh, and, I, and I get that from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. See, see we, don't, we, we only have a, a, a veiled expression of what's to come. We can't fathom it now. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, what? Face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And if we go to um, in Corinthians 3.18, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So now I believe this is possibly why Paul didn't add sanctification to this list. Have you ever wondered that? Why, why sanctification wasn't in there? That... that uh, these he also justified. He could have said these he, these he sanctified and, and these he also glorified. What? It, it seemed like it would fit, doesn't it, to sanctify? But, but know this, our sanctification is our being transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. Our sanctification is bound up in our glorification, our progression until our final and complete glorification before the Father. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, the glory that is yet to be revealed. The, the glory that now we see dimly, but then unveiled face to face. In Second Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All the plans and purposes of God. In Second Timothy uh, two, ten, Paul writing to Timothy said this: Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory, the glory that awaits us. 
and, and know this, that in our final glorification, all sin will be removed forever. Think about that. The very presence of sin forever gone so that the child of God may stand faultless before Him in glory for eternity. That's hard, that's hard to fathom, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that hard to, to grasp onto? But here, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, but yet, all around us, we struggle with the power of sin that is yet on this earth. But in the presence of Him, our final glorification, no sin. Not even the presence of sin. In Revelation 21, verse 27. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles. Enters it. Well, enters heaven, the presence of God. There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in what? The Lamb's book of life. Well, preacher, whose, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, it's, it's all those God has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. That's the ones whose names are written in the book of life. And, and then <laughs> the question I know at least for some should be, well, how do I know if my name's written in that book of life? And it would be there that I would ask, well, by grace through faith, have you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you recognized that you're a sinner before most holy God and that your only hope for forgiveness is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross? His blood that covers the sin of all who believe. And I would say, believe and confess your sin to Him who has the power to save you completely and forevermore. And then you may know that your name is in the book of life. In John 3, verses 15 and 16, we know this. That whoever believes in Him should not perish. We've heard that word already, haven't we? Not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, there's the caveat. Believe in Him. And I know I've said often, not, not with a just a casual belief that anybody that can pick up a Bible and read, well, yeah, um, history and does does tell us that there was a man named Jesus. Yeah, I believe there was a man named Jesus. No, not that kind of belief. Not the kind of belief that the demons have that, that tremble. At least at least when they hear the name of Jesus, they tremble because they know what their end will be. No, but a belief that's unto salvation, true salvation. In Romans ten. Let's read this one more time. Romans ten, nine through thirteen. Well, know that your name is written in the book of life. Well, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on me will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from wrath. Saved from judgment. Saved from condemnation. Now, let's go back to Revelation. Uh, Let's go to 22. Revelation 22, 3 through 5. And there shall be no more curse. Curse of sin. There shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face. See Him face to face. Not dimly any longer, but we will see Him. See His face. And His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there they need no lamp nor light of the sun for the lord god gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever for forever for eternity see see this will be the the presence of our final glorification the, through this the, the, though this glorification is yet in the future, because we, we see dimly now, but, but it's in the future. And I know you've noticed this, and I know you've heard sermons that talk about this. Yet Paul mentions it in the past tense as if it has already happened. These he also glorified. Not these he will glorify. These he also glorified. Um, I like what Lloyd-Jones said. Quote, The Apostle's argument is that as we know more certainly that we have been called and justified, we can be equally certain of our glorification. Nothing can prevent it because it is a part of God's purpose for us. That's what we've been talking about. What will thwart the hand of God? Nothing. Nothing. And so he says nothing can prevent it because it is part of God's purpose for us. So certain is it that it can be spoken of as already accomplished. Because it's, it's, it's a divine act. It's a divine decree of God. So certain is it that it can be spoken of as already accomplished. It is in the plan of God, and that means that it is as good as here. End quote. That's the assurance, that's the certainty that we can have as a child of God. Do do you get that? I I hope you do. And I believe Paul had the same certainty or the same thought of this in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. As if it's already here, you see. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul was talking as if it's already done, that, that we are seated now in the heavenly places. 
that, that same thought. It, it's, it's as good as done, you see, because it is a decree of God on our behalf. And, and know this, you know, no more sin will be there. And a part of our glorification will be a new, uncorruptible, redeemed body. Uh, and we looked at this a few months ago, Romans 8.23. Not only that, and that, that was in reference, I'll probably, I think I may read, yeah, I'm going to read this in a little bit. It was talking about creation. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Because we're still walking around in this old body of flesh. And someday it will fail. But we have a promise. We will be resurrected and have a new glorified body. Well, what will that be like? Well, whenever I'm asked that, I say, well, the only example we have is Christ. And perhaps some Old Testament characters, perhaps we had a vision there. But, but we have Christ that, that in his resurrected body walked on this earth and went and sat and talked and ate and did all these things. He was on this side of the door, then he was on that side of the door. He was this place, he was that place. I, I don't know, that's the only example I, I think we truly have of a resurrected body. Will that be us? Well, perhaps we will be like him. And whenever I say that, I hope you understand, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be God. It doesn't mean you're going to be God. Don't, don't ever think that. But we will have many of the attributes of Christ. Perfectly the fruit of the Spirit. Take those and say, those will be perfect in my life, in my new resurrected body. As if already done. The redemption of a body. Now, it, um, Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven. Well, we're not there yet, but our citizenship is, is waiting there. It's done. Do you, do you see that? Do you see all these things? It's done. It's done. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, and here it is, who will transform our lowly body, this body, this physical body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. At that time, the day of the Lord, we who are in Christ will be transformed, we will be changed, and creation as well will be changed. Uh, I, I love these verses in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I read them from time to time. I love these, talking about that change in 51 through 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, 
and this mortal must put on immortality. That's talking about this physical. This is talking about us while we're here on this earth. Changed. No longer corruptible or susceptible to corruption, but incorruptible. No more mortal in this mortal decaying body, but immortal, immortal body. Uh, 54, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Because as children of God, God has won the victory for us. But we sing the old hymn from time to time, Victory in Jesus. It's in Him. It's in Him. One day we will be changed. But until then, we wait in hope. And hope does not disappoint because it is sure as well. Creation also waits to be delivered. And, and uh, let, let's go ahead and read uh, Romans eight twenty two, and we'll add verse 23 that we just read as well. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, not only the whole creation groaning, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. A new creation... Scripture talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Do I understand all that? No. You don't either. It's, is it going to be restored to perfection as it once was? Many believe that, and I would say possibly. But this I know. Ever how God has it planned, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. Glorification is the work of God by which he makes his children both spiritually and physically glorious. <laughs> and it begins now in that process of sanctification. That, that's, that's why I'm saying that it seems to me that, that this sanctification that we're in, we're, we're being made more and more into the likeness of Christ from glory to glory to ultimate glory. Now, in the midst of going through this, the last several weeks, I've talked about the security of all these things because they are part of God's plans and purposes for us. Now, I don't want anyone to leave here with the impression that we can just therefore coast through life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, if it's all been decreed by God, See, Paul addressed this before. Well, I'll just sin that grace may abound. No. 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 You, you see, it is also part of God's plan that we live holy lives. Amen? That's also a part of God's, God's plan. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, listen, without which no one will see the Lord pursue peace and holiness while we're here on this earth not just sit back and let go and let god i hate that line but no but no 
an evidence that we are of the called is that we live a life of holiness. That's an evidence. Does that mean we live a life of perfection? No. But I believe it means that we'll be striving for holiness. And that, that should we stumble and fall into sin, or, or I better say when we stumble and fall into sin, that we know that God will forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 5, verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who, say it with me, obey him. Oh, so we have to obey him? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's another evidence that you are all these things we've been talking about. We, we read these verses a lot. I know John 14, verse 15, where Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And then in John 14, verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, that means obeys them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, make myself known to him, make myself real to them. I heard it said this way. When God glorifies us, he shares His own glory with us. Remember when Peter said, I, I'm a partaker of the glory. He shares His own glory with us. He gives us a new and glorious body, and He imparts the inward beauty of holiness partially in this life and fully when we come into the presence of the Lord. I, I think that's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, an inward beauty of holiness partially while we're here. We Sad to say, we don't live perfectly. I don't live perfectly. We don't. So it's partially in this life. But for the true child of God, it will be fully, fully when we come into his presence. So now, having gone through this portion of Romans 8, and we still have a little bit of Romans 8 to go, but I pray that we can all have a confidence in our salvation. I, I pray that. Because... Let me ask you this. If someone should ask you, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? How would you answer that? How do you know? So you should be able to give a reason for the hope that you have. You need to really think about this question for yourself. How would you answer when someone asks you, how do you know you're going to heaven? And I'm going to close with reading a, a quote from Piper and, and, and take and maybe use this as a pattern for answering that question. Quote, If someone asks you how you know you're going to heaven when you die, which is the same as, how do you know that all things work together for good? You see? Well, how do you know that? Well, you can answer them the same. I hope that, now listen, you will not be content to answer, 
I know that I'm going to heaven because I prayed one time and asked Jesus to come into my heart. Done. Don't be content with an answer such as that. Because there's a lot of people on the face of this earth who have prayed that little prayer and, and asked Jesus into their heart and he didn't come in. Because it wasn't by grace through faith, you see. So, so, so don't be content with that answer. Piper says, instead, I hope that we will answer something like this. I know that I'm going to heaven because God chose me for His own and predestined me for glory. He has borne witness of this in my life by calling me effectually out of rebellion and unbelief and by giving me the declaration of acquittal in His Word. I am justified. My sin went into Christ. His righteousness went into me. And now my confidence rests in the covenant oath of God that He will cause me to walk in His will. He who did not spare His Son but gave Him up for me, will He not work in me that which is pleasing in His sight? That's Romans eight thirty two. By His Spirit He will cause me to fulfill the just requirement of the law. That's Romans 8, 4. Sin will not have dominion over me, for I am now under the rule of sovereign grace. That's Romans six fourteen. And that grace will reign through righteousness unto eternal life. Romans five twenty one. The Father planned it ages ago. The Son purchased it centuries ago. The Spirit is causing it today in my heart. It is He who is at work in me to will and to do His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 And He who began in me this work will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 It is as sure as the oath and power of the sovereign God. And therefore, I know that I'm going to heaven. For those whom He justified, He also glorified. End quote. Isn't that great? Man, if we could give that answer to somebody, don't you know they'd be standing there with their eyes wide open? Oh, and maybe be convicted of themselves? Or perhaps a false profession that they have or a false faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. <laughs> I pray that for every born-again believer, it gives us great confidence not to boast. There is no boasting on our part other than to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, to be humbled before you and before the cross. But I pray that we might know with full assurance of faith. All of your great and precious promises are real and true. And as we've read today from your word, that, that there is nothing, Lord, that can thwart your hand. There's nothing that can annul what you have promised. So, Lord, grant us a faith to believe and trust and obey and to live for you 
in holiness. And again, Father, should there be someone who has listened that is still yet lost, and perhaps, Father, that that in the midst of some scripture that was read, that, that you are opening their eyes, that they are seeing themselves as this sinner that needs your grace. So, Father, have mercy and do a work that only you can do, Lord. Draw them to yourself that they might say with confidence upon receiving and believing and confessing sin all of these things that we've talked about today from your word. So help us, Lord, as we continue on this life journey while we're here. Help us to honor you as we should. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.